Hello, everyone, and welcome back to An Ounce and a Pound. I am Jason Meekma, the Executive Director of Focus on Community, a substance abuse prevention agency, and I am going to be your host. This episode of An Ounce and a Pound, we will explore the role prevention plays in activism. We will speak with State Representative David Bowen. Representative Bowen serves on the Committees on Corrections, Small Business Development, Transportation, Workforce Development, and the Task Force for Urban Education. Before all that, Representative Bowen served on the Milwaukee County Board, at that time becoming the youngest member of the board and one of the youngest black elected officials in Milwaukee history. Before his career in politics, Representative Bowen directed the Youth Leadership Program with Urban Underground in Milwaukee, is a two-time graduate of the AmeriCorps Program Public Allies and a Legacy Foundation Youth Activism Fellow, and Representative Bowen is a nationally recognized trainer for intergenerational community improvement strategies. Representative Bowen is with us in this episode to provide perspective from all his past experience and provide us a new angle on prevention as it relates to activism and change in a community. Representative Bowen, I want to welcome you. I thank you for joining us today. I chuckled a little bit on your intro because there's just so much to cover and I'm sure that's still not everything, but uh, I really appreciate you being here to help us continue this conversation. Absolutely. First off, uh, thank you for having me on. And um, I've known you for quite some time before I was engaged in uh, the formal side of politics. And uh, it's good to see the, uh, the work that you're continuing to do at Focus and uh, the amazing things happening in racing. Yeah, thank you. And, and I was, I was reflecting, we, we connected back to your urban underground days and that's kind of where our, where our relationship started. And, uh, and obviously the work you were doing there was very heavily focused on youth and, you know, providing opportunity. All of that ties back to that prevention concept. So I appreciate the work you're doing. And obviously you've, you've grown your, uh, your bucket a little bit and what you're filling it with. And, and it just, it's been such an impressive career to watch that you've been on uh, so far. So Honored you could uh, fit the time in today to, to, to hang out for a few minutes. No, thank you. Thank you so much. So let's kind of dive into this. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm developing a bit of a bad habit with these interviews because I always start out with a, a really tough question. And it's not tough because it's a really complex question, but it's, it's really trying to get you to, to cram something that's so vast into such a small space. But I really think it, it helps kind of set the tone a little bit. So uh, I, I just want to start out by asking you, if you could define prevention in one sentence, what would it be? Uh, to define prevention, I, I would say, you know, the act and the investment to ensure that the outcome of, especially of our communities in that context, that we're making decisions that are forward thinking. And you're not supposed to use the word prevent in the word that you're defining <laughs> in your definition, right? But to make it much less likely for those bad outcomes to happen and for better outcomes to be prioritized. Awesome. That's pretty well said. I, uh, I've i heard some, some explanations of that question, but I, I think you really hit the heart of it. I, I like that forward thinking concept and, and really just keeping people ideally on better paths. So let's elaborate on that. You know, in, in your life, in your experience, in, in the things that you've seen and the, the jobs that you've done, what is it that has caused you to believe that prevention is important? I, I think a lot of times we get caught up into knee-jerk reactions and having perspectives that aren't data-based or uh, research-based, but based on current emotional feelings and reactions that we get, we all get caught up in. So it's really important to Think about what is our main goal, what are the outcomes that we want to see, 
and reimagining how we engage in our processes to get there. And I really feel like right now, you know, in this time that we're advocating for racial equity and, and justice for communities that have been deprived of it, this is a unique time to even think about, especially in our communities, how do we create outcomes that allow communities to thrive, especially black and brown communities in our, in our state, and by making more than just the reactionary, but being proactive before a gun is fired, before a situation escalates out of control or two levels where people get hurt, lose lives, we're being very intentional. We need to be very intentional to be able to have prevention, essentially those situations not happening because we all agree to take certain steps, make certain investments, make essential collaborations from multiple levels of uh, stakeholders for the sake of our children, for the sake of our neighborhoods, for the sake of our community. Yeah, you're talking about that reimagining solutions re you know as we we seek outcomes and that proactive approach your your work is really lending itself to that that is prevention and i love that that vision that you have for that digging a little deeper into what you were just saying about that reimagining about us being very intentional about our approach what are some things as you look at the future that you see people maybe being able to implement around prevention can create lasting change yeah and i think another word is systemic change right mm -hmm. how can we have Essentially, uh, while we're dealing with uh, systematic racism, we're dealing with uh, structures, institutionalized structures that provide the, the opposition and resistance to the changes that we want to see in those systems. Systemic change is our way to ensure that everybody, not just individualized, uh, get access to justice, get access to equity. So on the prevention side, that means you have a new conversation about what public safety means, a new conversation about how can you achieve public safety. And uh, in a number of municipalities around our state and around the country, public dollars have been stretched very thin to provide all of the needs and concerns in the current context to ensure that, you know, the communities that we live in and we want to serve so that they have access to a life that they can thrive in, that prevention is working in the uh, systems of our law enforcement agencies and the systems of our um, health departments and the systems of uh, healthcare, on the, on, all the way down the line, any systems of education, right? Everything that we need to do to prevent those bad outcomes from happening. And in your question specifically, you know, what does that look like? Let's start with, uh, in a sense, police reform, right? And understanding what defunding means. Um, if you sometimes are, are having conversations, some people think defunding means ending all police services, period. And in Milwaukee, we have over 260,000 calls, about 260,000 calls that come in for service to the police department every year. And the question is, are there demands that we're placing on our police department to be able to serve our communities for, with, with assistance and help that they aren't equipped to handle that could be uh, handed off to other agencies uh, that are more appropriate, better trained, and, and more prepared? Right. So a lot of mental health concerns right now end up all going to the police department. If you are thinking about defunding, you're thinking about, well, how many calls come in for that uh, or situations pop up for that, that we need to be able to shift those dollars from just having a, a person armed and, and trained as an officer and then rather shifting those services to a division that's more so based for that call of service. You know, and then we also can talk about 
just the responsibility of our officers to not feel the need to discriminate in their practices to create the services that they want to provide that they feel like are necessary to provide. So there are some departments that in the past very systemically you know, would essentially create a new activity for them to do by randomly pulling over people or stopping people. So that, you know, had stop and frisk practices right. um, don't necessarily mean that you are achieving public safety or that you're being the most efficient with uh, the resources that are being given to that department, right? We right. have real calls for service that I would say officers and departments they put on the back burner because of the other new situations that were being created, right? So it's like we need to realign ourselves to be able to not get into that situation, especially when you're you're now seeing situations that are escalating to a level where from one officer being called to 20 officers being called or from nonviolent situation, then escalating to a violent situation. So, you know, I, I really do see it as important as we talk about systemic change and prevention. You know, we have situations that are happening in neighborhoods right now with conflict. And, you know, thank God in Milwaukee, we have the City Office of Violence Prevention, mm-hmm. where they have a team of individuals that actually are, you know, they're, they're from those same neighborhoods. They, they know folks in the community. They built relationships and they defuse. They interrupt those situations from escalating. As soon as they hear about it, they go out and they go to mediate those situations. And rather than uh, no one being there and a reactionary call after something happened would be to say, well, you know, there was a fight. It turned into a shooting, turned into someone actually getting hurt or guns being drawn, turned into a shooting, turned into somebody being hurt. They are trying to, before it escalates into an even worse situation, a costly situation, conversations can be had, right? Mediation and negotiations can be had. This is diplomatic diplomacy, right? And, you know, rather than using the show of force to solve those situations, we want to encourage as much as possible for folks to find peaceful ways to uh, uh, navigate those situations, but a lot of, of violence happening in our community that are, that's rising the cost of healthcare, rising the cost of you know the public resources that are being used. We could have situations where we wouldn't have to call anybody from a police department at all if we right. could interrupt it in time, if we could prevent it in time. You know that drops the amount of calls coming in for service from two hundred sixty thousand down lower, right? Mm-hmm. And we're we're trying to find approaches where you know you will have situations where you will need a armed person, an armed officer to that's trained the way that they are uh, to handle uh, certain situations. But we want to make sure that we're being very specific about which of those situations that they are being called to. And right now, um, you know, we even had a, a chief that we, you know, me and Chief Flynn. Chief Flynn was a former chief of the Milwaukee Police Department. We disagreed on a lot, but one of the things we really did agree on in our conversations with that, it's insanity to call on your police department to handle everything. And it's not sustainable. And it's unfair, right? The the, the main line officers that aren't prepared for these situations, especially if they're dangerous or they can be dangerous, are in a really bad spot. So how do we make sure, especially in situations of like domestic violence, let's be very clear, you need law enforcement. 
to respond in situations of domestic violence. Right. Yeah. Especially when it gets to a level of violence where the suspect at that time is inflicting harm on individuals or on their partner. We want to ensure that in those situations, a, a, a officer can respond as quick as possible to protect that individual. And, and it's very clear that those calls for service are some of the most dangerous. It's not a person being pulled over because they have a out tail light. It's not because right. they didn't use a turning signal to switch lanes. It, it's not because somebody jaywalked across the street or somebody felt threatened because somebody was barbecuing and it was illegal to have a, it's against the rules yeah. to have grill, right, right. park. Those aren't situations where you formally need, I would say, a law enforcement officer to be at. It's those real situations where somebody's being hurt. Yeah. And that's where you need officers to be able to respond to the quickest. And I would bet your line duty officer that has to do that work, that has to respond, that has to be at risk, wants to be able to respond to those situations, not with the lack of backup, the lack of support, the lack of preparation for situations like that, because they are the most dangerous commonly for uh, our officers. So I'm thinking a line in those terms of reimagining the way that we can provide public safety and be able to respond. It's such a, an incredible shift that we're trying to accomplish here. You really are bringing out the importance of that prevention-minded approach. In setting up systems, we are focusing on the responsibility and the focus on the health of an in, and well-being of an individual. You know, you've said, uh, you said a couple of times in the comments that you've, you've been making this concept of thriving, of putting people in a situation where they can thrive, putting each of our sub-communities into, into opportunities where they can thrive through creating equity, through creating uh, opportunity. And it sounds like you're, what you're kind of talking about is that reimagining the law enforcement of having more of that holistic approach where they're, they're finding opportunities to provide mental health or connect people to mental health services. They're, they're creating a, a more intentional approach to simple offenses. The backyard barbecue example that you gave is, is a, a great vision of that. In that perspective, talk a little bit about what does that thrive look like to you? And I know it's going to be different based on what community you're, you're talking about, but is there a, a general sense of what you would imagine people being able to thrive? And what does that look like? Just the, I think you're saying uh, what is generally just the, what, what does it look like for people to be able to thrive in their own communities? Yeah, yeah. So, and like I said, it's it's hard to be so community specific because it's such a, you know, there's so many different communities, so many different people, and it means something different for everybody. But, you know, what in your mind is it kind of the general direction that we're looking towards when we're trying to find a world where everybody can thrive? Yeah, I think essentially, you know, it comes down to those indicators to be able to raise a family. Can you get access to a great quality education in your public schools. Can you get access to the ability to walk freely in your neighborhood, no matter the time, no matter the time of year, to be able to just ex enjoy, right, uh, yep. being out? Can you get access to the chance to get a, to like be to participate in entertainment and not feel unwelcome in in that community? You know, can you provide a legacy for your family and the, the chance to retire in dignity, right? After being able to, to uh, work and, and gain wages that you can invest back into the uh, future generations and your family and build wealth. It's, it's really tied to, you know, that's what the American dream, I would say, is supposed to be. 
And there are many in our country right now that don't feel like that dream is accessible as it was. was. That's so powerful. And I think important that people are hearing that is that there are entire sections of our community, of our nation that feel that that's not attainable. And and that's so important that continues to get reiterated. So obviously there's multiple players in all of this as we continue to try and move towards change. Uh, And one of the hats that you wear is uh, obviously based in politics. Uh, So what role do you feel that prevention should be playing in the political arena, both locally and at the state level? Because I know you're involved in both of those those spaces. Sure. I think it comes down to ensuring that, you know, you have a local level that runs local departments and services that people rely on, and they can prioritize funding to to keep it sustainable and that the, the state level as well, you know, you would help the federal level as well, would help to incentivize and support that work as well. You know, knowing that it creates a huge shift in the amount of dollars that's spent on in healthcare, uh, in emergency services, you know, and just good outcomes of uh, keeping, especially our young people that are in school, keeping them on track to be able to do well and not fall behind. So to me, you know, politically, the state of Wisconsin has a role. So that's why we had a bill and the governor ordered that bill um, to be create a, you know, a statewide public health fund, violence prevention fund that we would give out grants to local municipalities to fund violence prevention work and to think about, you know, how do you create revenue streams to be able to consistently fund that type of work and just based on the huge amount of impact that it makes. If you can continue to guarantee those dollars rather than one time, every other time, fund them, you have a much more sustainable process and planning that can happen in communities all over the state of Wisconsin. And violence prevention can look different in different communities. So it it could be more so focused on uh, domestic violence in one area or much more focused on gun violence in another area. You know, it's very clear that there are a number of public health crises that are happening across the state and giving local municipalities and leaders tools and resources and still demanding that they bring their own resources to the table, bring their own skin in the game to make sure that we all are working as hard as possible to get ahead of the curve. Uh, I think that's a good thing. So um, especially the state, the state has a really big role to play in that. And uh, federally, federally, the national level has a really big role to play in that as well. Absolutely. Staying in front of the curve instead of falling behind it. Uh, You know, obviously there is that political piece. And the thing about politics is you can start really high at the federal level and it keeps boiling down to smaller levels of government. And when you're talking about prevention, you can think about it from the perspective of the local level can put the really minute pieces into place to really make prevention effective. But we can keep going and we can boil it down even further than just local government uh, and start to look at individuals and people in their own lives. So uh, as we start to wrap up here, I just want to conclude with the question to you is how do you see people being able to practice prevention in their own lives around the issues we've been talking about? I think individually, um, we all have a role uh, to focus on prevention. Me, for instance, um, I ended up contracting uh, COVID-19 from actually one of my elected colleagues and locally here in the district. And you know, it was essential that I remember that I'm not Superman, that I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a robot. Uh, I can get sick and uh, it can take a toll on my body as well. Not, ju- not just because I'm young doesn't mean that I'm automatically going to make it through this 
virus, especially at a time when it was much early in the process. We didn't know that much about COVID-19. And, you know, there ultimately, there, there were no treatments out there to be able to uh, stop its, its, its uh, impact on your body. So uh, my immune system had to do all the work. And it was good that I usually try to pay attention to my health, right? I have a primary healthcare physician that I, I see on a regular basis. And um, when I got sick, that was the first stop I went to. You know, at the time, there barely were tests available yeah. to be able to see if you could uh, guarantee if you had it or not. You know, luckily, my, I, the few tests that my doctor had access to, I was able to use one. And uh, three days later, find out if I was positive for it and did find out I was. It, it was just essential that, you know, especially from a community and a demographic of strong black men come from that, but also we have been wronged by the system that we have been formally targeted um, by a system that should be there to take care of us. And we've right. seen that in historically with the uh, Tuskegee experiment and mm -hmm. things that have happened through Jim Crow and period of enslavement, that there's a reason why we don't like going to the doctor. There's a reason why we don't trust public health systems. So we'll, we'll, we'd rather trust ourselves. And uh, rather than doing that at that time, it was just important for me to be able to go through the process and, uh, and, and trust that I can make it through. And, and, and essentially, you know, thankful to God that I, I made it through. That is the only, only by that grace I was able yeah. to make it through. But it is important for uh, us to have that perspective. We could be relying on emergency rooms and urgent care centers, or we could work ahead of that, right, and establish relationships with doctors that we can trust, uh, with systems. Yeah. You know, you have community providers right now uh, that are yeah. doing an amazing job, uh, federally qualified health centers yeah. throughout our community where people are getting access to consistent health rather than waiting until it's really bad. And then yeah. that thing that was bothering you, that your body was telling you that didn't feel right or that doesn't feel like it usually should. And you keep just putting it off and allowing it to fester and get worse. And then it becomes a bigger situation. So right. yeah, yep. I had to uh, take that, that responsibility myself. And I encourage so many other individuals, it is so important for you to watch what it is that you are consuming. Watch the amount of uh, exercise that you get, right? Uh, being involved in the marches right now, uh, we're, we're burning a lot of energy. So, yep. you know, I'm probably losing too much weight at this point, but it's okay. I'll get it back. But there, uh, there's just a lot of things and decisions that people have to make, especially if you are a person of color and you're dealing with systems that are, are creating oppression, creating uh, situations that you cannot just escape from and all of a sudden turn off and they take a toll on you. So you do want to be able to make the best decisions individually for your health and the people around you. Oh, and I think that's great. And, and uh, Representative Bowen, we're so happy you've, you bounced back and you, you were able to be here with us today and such really great perspectives that you've been able to lend to this conversation as we continue to advance and explore the role that prevention has uh, on our lives and in our communities. And obviously it goes beyond just um, drug and alcohol prevention or ensuring that young people have access to things. And those are certainly so significant and important, but it plays a role in pretty much every aspect of our life. And, uh, and this concept of prevention, unfortunately, been something we haven't relied on as heavily as I wish we would have throughout history. But all we can do right now uh, is continue to move forward, continue to find solutions that can help make the world a better place. Uh, and the opportunities that we have in front of us right now are so significant. President Bowen, you've been able to really help paint that picture very clearly. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of work still to do, as you were saying earlier. I appreciate 
you giving us some of your time today. That means so much to, to me and to our listeners and, uh, and just really encourage you to keep up the good work. And uh, I know what you're doing is going to have lasting impact and lasting effect. So thank you. Uh, thanks for your time today uh, and really appreciate you being here with us. Jason, thank you so much. Thanks for having me and uh, keep focusing on uh, prevention on racing. I'd like to have you. I appreciate that so much. This has been an episode of An Ounce and a Pound. We appreciate you joining us and spending some time learning about prevention. We will look forward to seeing you in the next episode and take care of yourselves out there. Thanks, everybody.